Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Right now, join T-Mobile and get an unlimited family plan with Netflix included so you can watch in more places than ever before on your phone, tablet, or TV. Plus, buy one Samsung Galaxy S9 and get one free with 24 monthly bill credits so you and your family can binge your Netflix favorites on your new phones. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. Unlimited data on their network. Video streams at 480p. Small fraction of customers using over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speeds. If you cancel balances due, well-qualified customers, full price, 720 plus tax. Finance agreements required. Netflix for two screens. Terms apply. What's better than this? Guys being dudes. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Draft Dudes Podcast. I am your co-host, Kyle Krabs, Director of Scouting at NET Scouting, NFL Draft Analyst for FanRag Sports, and today I am also alone. Uh, Joe Marino has uh, taken advantage of the fact that I took a day off last week, and he has quote-unquote called out sick today. So here we are. Uh, I am flying solo, and uh, yesterday was a big day for me, uh, Tuesday uh, the 16th, because I took the next step in trusting the process. Uh, you know, We are a football podcast, but I do need to sit here and reflect on the fact that uh, I am now a proud Philadelphia 76ers season ticket holder, and we have come out of the NBA draft lottery with the third overall pick, so... Uh, I'm feeling really good, and fittingly enough, here's a segue for you. We're going to talk about the NFC East today. I'm going to give you my takes on the East, including uh, those Philadelphia Eagles, Dallas Cowboys, uh, Washington Redskins, and New York Giants. This was a division that, in my opinion, drafted uh, very well. I liked a lot of the players that these teams were able to bring in. Uh, As a whole, uh, there were a sizable number of selections uh, 34 made between the four teams, and uh, there were only five players out of that 34 that Joe and I did not cover as part of our 2017 NFL draft portfolios. Only two of those players, Nathan Gary, uh, the safety from Nebraska, 
and Chase Ruler from uh, Wyoming, the interior offensive lineman, went inside the top 200. Uh, Gary was the highest non-covered player that we did at 184. So, with that in mind, uh, we're going to start alphabetically by team names so that nobody gets offended here. We're going to start Cowboys, then we'll do Eagles, Giants, and then Redskins. So there's no favoritism here. Uh, I may be a trust-the-process truther, but we are going to hold off on the processes city until the second team here that we're going to cover. And I've done a lot of talking to this point about Taco Charlton and the Dallas Cowboys' decision to select him. I actually wrote a nice profile for Fan Rag Sports, kind of trying to talk Dallas Cowboys fans off the ledge, you know, because there's this big uh, uproar about left end versus right end, and you know, Dallas has traditionally looked for this in a right end versus a left end, and Taco Charlton doesn't fit that profile, and we're looking for a speed twitch guy to turn the corner on guys. And uh, now I, I think Dallas has made life easier for themselves with this pick. I know a lot of Dallas fans, thanks to uh, FanRag's very own John Owning, were really resided to the idea of drafting T.J. Watt. And uh, T.J. Watt and Taco Charlton were comparable prospects for me. They were both slotted in similar spots on the draft board. They were separated by just seven slots. They were the same value in a vacuum. So I don't dislike the value here, especially at 28. Uh, Charlton, no, he's not a 4-5 pass rusher. And I know that's what Dallas fans wanted. But Charlton wins with length, lean, cornering ability, and leverage, which is impressive for a guy that's six foot six, so Charlton has immediate traits that should translate to having productive pass rush reps. Now, I don't, I'm not predicting he's going to come in and, and hit eight to twelve sacks his first year in the league, but I think certainly six sacks as a rookie is a a good expectation and barometer for Charlton to come in and strive for. And uh, I would not be surprised in any way, shape, or form if he comes in and he achieves that. I think that's a realistic. Uh, forecast for Charlton. And obviously that was their biggest need. Uh, the other big need for the Cowboys was they needed defensive backs. And they went out and they drafted four of them. <laughs> so uh, they were very, very uh, clearly well aware of that need there uh, in the defensive backfield. They landed Michigan's Jordan Lewis with the 92nd pick, Jadobi Awuzie from Colorado with the 60th pick. Uh, they landed my favorite out of the group, Xavier Woods, with the 191st pick. And then Marquez White from Florida State went 216. So they brought in four defensive backs uh, out of their next five draft selections. Uh, Awuzie and Lewis, for me, are more slot-type defenders. I don't love either one of them on the boundary. Um, Lewis has great ball skills. Woozy has great ball skills. Neither one of them tackle especially well. Neither one of them is super loose in space. I think Marquez White has the best perimeter profile as far as an athlete. But even then, uh, from a functional athlete standpoint, he he can kind of get those hips open. Uh, but at the same time, I, I really don't think that they landed any guys that I'm really blown away as as boundary guys. I would expect 
Uh, they'll probably try a woozy on the boundary and Lewis in the slot first. And uh, one thing that I did profile uh, that's coming out today for FanRag Sports is the importance of nickel and slot players and why uh, the evolution of the NFL has made them much more prominent. Uh, so that's not a, a necessarily a slight against Lewis to say he's a slot corner or a woozy to say he's a slot corner because uh, you need to have a very pleasant blend of skills in order to be successful in that role. Now, I'm not certain either one of those two uh, check the boxes to be a high-end player. I think they'll be reliable players. Uh, I'm just not enamored with either one of their ceilings. They were both players for me that were were a little more pedestrian. I like guys that uh, can tackle with a little more consistency, uh, have a little bit more short area change of direction skills uh, than what both of those guys bring to the table. But, uh, um, I think with what Dallas is looking for and understanding that they're looking at the position through a different scope than I do, um, you can understand where they're coming from. And to see, they clearly prioritize ball skills uh, between Awuzie and Jordan Lewis's ball production. Xavier Woods, who we haven't even talked about yet, one of my favorite uh, under-the-radar prospects in this draft class. I think he's a tremendous player. He's pretty versatile, uh, can check a lot of different boxes, fulfill a lot of different roles. He's not... He's a consistent tackler, but he's a small tackler, and he tackles small. He's not going to lay guys out, and that's okay uh, because he understands how to attack uh, ball carriers in the open field and receivers in the open field. He's more of that alligator tackle, uh, death roll style, get down low around the legs and and, and wrap and roll type of tackler. Um, but he, he really has a nose for the football as well. So it's very clear that's what Dallas prioritized with their defensive backs. Uh, Dallas also took two wide receivers, Ryan Switzer and Noah Brown. Uh, Noah Brown, for me, is a big-time project. Was surprised he declared, watched his film. You could see the obvious upside uh, with his uh, size and strength and the strength in his hands when he's able to squeeze the ball. He obviously had that behind the, the defender's back touchdown catch this year. But uh, low production, low snap. But I understand it because he's probably not going to get a whole lot of extra production at Ohio State, not going to get a whole lot of extra development at Ohio State. Uh, he was fortunate to get drafted. I did not think his film was was uh, a standout in any way, shape, or form. So uh, Dallas is betting on the upside there. But Ryan Switzer, man. <laughs> Switzer was my 113th player on the board. Dallas got him at 113. I'm sorry, 133, uh, so a plus value of 20 picks. Uh, one of their better picks as far as value versus my personal draft board. And Switzer and Cole Beasley are going to be a nightmare in open sets. Dak has some mobility. He has the ability to extend plays and run as needed, as was showcased at Mississippi State. So if they go open and you've got... Uh, Two boundary receivers, one of them being Des Bryant. You've got Cole Beasley, Ryan Switzer, and uh, Jason Witten there. My goodness. Uh, the middle of the field is going to be under a lot of pressure. And they're going to be able to spread the field. They're going to put the, the box, the front six, in a ton of high pressure because you know Dak can run the football if they want to go wide and spread that way. Uh, and Dak was really crisp with his decision-making as a passer. And Switzer's a player that wins at the top of his route stems. So I think that mesh uh, has the potential to be a very fruitful relationship. And then the only other name that I, I did want to highlight, they did select Jordan Carroll out of uh, Colorado, and, and they selected Joey Ivey 
the defensive tackle from Florida. I want to touch briefly on Ivy because I think he has some good value as a, as a run defender. Uh, his motor runs hot. He he hustles hard. He gets up and down the line of scrimmage. Um, I think he's going to be a player that's going to be a fan favorite uh, in the preseason because he's. I expect him to show up quite a bit. Moving on, Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, first two draft selections, uh, Derek Barnett and Sidney Jones. Their first three overall were on the defensive side of the football. They also landed Rasul Douglas with the 99th pick. Um, Barnett at 14, not great value, not necessarily bad value, certainly not one of the worst values in the first round as far as the players that I evaluated. Uh, Barnett is, oh man, how do I put it? I don't think his ceiling is as high as somebody like Taco Charlton. I don't think it's as high as TJ Watt. I just don't know what Barnett's translatable trump card is as a player. Uh, He wins with snap anticipation. We've talked about this on the podcast a whole bunch before. Uh, I think he's a safe pick. I think he's a player you can expect to get uh, seven, eight sacks a year. I don't think he's going to be a primary pressure player. Um... I could very easily uh, misunderestimate Barnett's snap anticipation and that ability to translate. And if I miss on Barnett and saying that, that's probably what it's going to be. But he keys up with good timing at the snap. And at the NFL level, offensive tackles have too much length. They're too crisp, by and large. Granted, there's some bad ones out there, uh, but not bad to the level of... uh, college football offensive tackles that are never going to get a chance to play NFL football bad. So Barnett, for me, uh, is a player that he's going to have his splash plays because he's going to be able to time up snaps well. He does well to get the inside tilt and really corner on guys. Um, That will have the opportunity to showcase in a Jim Schwartz defense where he's going to be playing with wider angles. But... That first step explosiveness, I'm not totally sold on, so I'm not fully enamored with the prospect of him being uh, placed in a line further away from the football. So there's some give and take there. I can see him making splash plays, but I don't think he'll be as consistent at the NFL level uh, because he doesn't have the trait to really hang his hat on. Sidney Jones, 10th rated player, got him at 43. Uh, He was my 10th rated player when I accounted for uh, the Achilles injury, and I dinged him um, about half a round value. He was still a first-round value. I thought he was head and shoulders the best corner in this class, just based off my assessment. Uh, really love those corners with those smooth feet, those ball skills, uh, good click and close, redirection ability. Uh, Jones has all those things. So the big question for him is, does he get back to form? Does he get back to being the athlete that he was beforehand with that short air quickness? And if he does, how long does it take him to get there? But I like the risk in the second round because he is a huge boom player. And even if he only comes back to 90% of what he was before, uh, this is a player that has the in-between-the-ears awareness and and route recognition skills to still make impact plays, even though he might not be the special player he profiled as before the injury. Philadelphia, after that, uh, continued to build out skill players, uh, boundary players. They landed Mack Hollins, Razul Douglas, Donnell Pumphrey, and Sheldon Gibson with their next four picks. Uh, 
Douglas, I think as long as you play him at the line of scrimmage, you ask him to play press, which I can respect in a Jim Schwartz defense because you're asking him uh, to get into the hip pocket, disrupt the release, and really throw off the timing of the routes on the boundary. You ask him to do that in a, in a defensive system like Schwartz's, in which they really thrive on getting pressure and, and causing chaos in the pocket. And Douglas has the length, the press ability, and the ball skills to be effective there. He was one of the, the NCAA's leaders in interceptions last year. Huge ball skills, huge catch radius. Uh, but if you play him off the ball at all, he is going to struggle. This is not like Sidney Jones, who has that foot quickness. Douglas has long steps, long transitions. So he's got to be a press guy. He's going to have to play to the field. Or I'm sorry, play, play him into the boundary. Uh, let him be a little bit more closed in, I think is where you'll really see Douglas shine the most. Mac Hollins, a big-bodied vertical guy, 6'3 plus, ran 4'5, um, missed the back half of the year with an injury. Uh, special teams ace was a four-year captain for special teams at North Carolina. A uh, lot of safe value with a pick in the one eight, or a pick at 118. Um, they went out and they got some speed, Philadelphia did, you know, with Hollins, Pumphrey, and Sheldon Gibson, guys that they're planning on you know, making big plays, making yardage after the catch. Now, Gibson uh, is the true burner. Uh, I think he actually has the highest ceiling out of the skilled players that they took uh, on the offensive side of the football because that dude can fly. And Wentz has the arm strength to push the ball down the field. Now, I actually put out my Carson Wentz reports from a couple weeks ago, and uh, somebody had asked me you know, what my stance was on um, Carson Wentz and these quarterbacks and my quarterback history over the past four years and who I gave first-round grades out to. And Wentz was not a player I gave a first-round grade to. He was in my top 20 overall players from the 2016 draft. And one thing that I had noted was he doesn't have anything other than uh, – above average NFL arm. And the reason why I said that was not necessarily because of strength with his ability to push the ball down the field. It was some of his natural placement down the field. Well, Gibson is a guy you can encourage Wentz to just let it go and let Gibson run underneath the football. I think Eagles fans will remember early in the year last year, one of the Eagles' first losses, uh, Wentz got a little greedy trying to go deep to Nelson Aguilar, and the ball was intercepted, and it sealed the game. Um, you will not, as long as Wentz feels comfortable letting the ball go and letting that thing fly. Gibson was one of the best wide receivers in the country running to the end zone to make receptions. You have him come back to the line of scrimmage, break into the middle of the field. You get very shaky results. But as a pure vertical guy, I really like Sheldon Gibson. I like what he brings. And then Danell Pumphrey just really strikes me as a uh, Darren Sproles hair parent, a guy that you can get special teams touches, get catches out of the backfield, maybe line him up in the slot. Um, surprised he went 132. I was expecting him to go later, but he was a player that I had slotted at 117. So I like the value there. I like the value with Sheldon Gibson. Uh, I like the Sidney Jones value. I'm okay with the Derek Barnett value. Um, Matt Collins was really the one pick that I thought went a little early. He went about two rounds earlier than I would have preferred if I was making that selection. Uh, but I was okay with the Rizul Douglas uh, 
value as well. So by and large, I thought the Eagles did a nice job from top to bottom. They didn't have any egregious reaches against my personal draft board. Uh, They didn't have any huge steals other than Sidney Jones, if he turns out to be healthy. Uh, I thought they did a nice job getting appropriate value from top to bottom with their entire draft class. We having fun yet? Let's talk about the New York Giants. Uh, I don't know how teams are planning on stopping (laughs) the Giants. Uh, It's going to come down to their offensive line. It's going to be a huge determinant in the future of their their season in 2017 because them now having Brandon Marshall, Odo Beckham Jr., Sterling Shepard, and Evan Ingram, that's that's not fair. I really don't care who's in the backfield. I would love to see Wayne Gallman get looks. Um, Gallman was their 140th overall selection. Uh, The Giants landed two players that were inside of my top 40 on my personal draft board, they were Evan Ingram, who they took 23rd, and Wayne Gallman, who they landed at 140. One of my favorite steals from the division. As a matter of fact, as I'm looking at it, uh, Wayne Gallman was the second best pure value pick with where he actually went versus where he was slotted on my draft board behind Xavier Woods. Uh, so there you go. This is a pick I really like a lot. But let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. They had Giants go Evan Ingram, who I think is just going to be a monster in the middle of the field. I think he's going to be a great fit as long as he establishes some chemistry with Eli Manning. Uh, that offensive skill player and personnel group is just tremendous in the passing game. I think they're really going to let the ball go, sling it around, and you could see why teams like Philadelphia and Dallas invested very heavily in the defensive backfield because uh, the Giants are taking a strength and making it stronger. And I really like that personal draft approach, and I thought the value of Ingram at 23 was appropriate. I had him 34th. He goes 23. Um, Can't hate that value at all. With the 55th pick, they went out and got Alabama's Dalvin Tomlinson, which really surprised me. This was one of the bigger reaches versus my personal draft board. And I want to make that uh, pretty apparent. This is All of this is against my personal draft board. And uh, Tomlinson was somebody who we didn't get a chance to see do a lot at Alabama. He was pretty much just uh, uh, a, a guy that ate up blocks, really squatted, and controlled the line of scrimmage. He didn't get much penetration, productivity, um, but he was very stout along the point of attack. And with them losing Hankins, uh, it seemed like the Giants just really wanted to prioritize. uh, We need a a starting caliber player in the middle of our defense. And it seems like that's why they targeted Tomlinson. They liked a guy that could really hold the point of attack, uh, but I don't think he's a sexy pick. Now, again, going back to what we talked about with Dallas, if if the Giants are looking through this as a different scope or if they think he can be a penetration player, then hey, you know, you got a starting player in the second round. Uh, I think that's the expectation for Tomlinson. I'm just a little bit more apprehensive. I don't, I didn't see that upside with him. Uh, I think he's more of a two-down player, uh, but that remains to be seen. Uh, Giants rolled the dice on Davis Webb, who, thank the good Lord, did not end up going in the first round early second round. He was talked about for like two months before the draft, and it was crazy because usually you get these waves of you'll talk about a player for two weeks as a potential first-round pick, and then it goes away, and then somebody else is up in there. Uh, Davis Webb never went away. Um, 
I thought the value was appropriate, especially given he's a quarterback, and I could see some parallels between what Eli does well and, and what Davis Webb does well. Uh, I had him rated 138th on my personal draft board. He goes 87. It's a difference of 51 slots. It's a notable difference, but it's not an egregious difference. Uh, Webb, big arm, smart, uh, likes to push the ball, a uh, little bit of a gunslinger mentality. Does that sound like anybody you know? Uh, Eli Manning much? So uh, Webb is somebody that I'm not expecting to see for the next two or three years, hear much from him. Um, but it will be interesting to see because they, they went out and spent a top 100 pick on him. Do the Giants feel in the long run that he can be a starting caliber quarterback and him going to a situation like this with the Giants in which you don't have to worry about him getting pressed into action. Uh, I like it. I like that opportunity for him. Be interesting to see how that develops. Uh, we've already kind of teased Wayne Gallman uh, between him and Paul Perkins. Now they've got uh, a really smooth uh, string cuts together runner and Wayne Gallman, who's I think a little underrated as far as his physicality. And Paul Perkins is more of a twitch guy, can make guys miss one-on-one in the alley and in the phone booth. Uh, like the dynamic between the two, it's going to give the Giants the chance to uh, quote-unquote go with the hot hand. Goldman's a player that I can see getting involved in the passing game and on third down. Uh, Perkins more of a true ball carrier than Goldman. I think Goldman brings some more peripheral skills to the position. So a nice supplementary player to somebody they already had. Youngstown State's Avery Moss and... Uh, Pittsburgh offensive tackle out of Bistawati were the last two picks for the Giants. I like the Moss pick quite a bit. Uh, that was right in line. I had him 165th on my board. He goes 167. Um, powerful hands. Big pop. John Ledyard of NDT Scouting and uh, the Locked On NFL Draft podcast did a really nice job showcasing him for NDT Scouting and uh, kind of showcasing some of the traits that he brings to the table. Uh, winning at first contact is one of my favorite traits to look for in off- offensive and defensive linemen. Moss does it well. Uh, showed out really well against West Virginia. If you're new uh, to the idea of Avery Moss, you know you, all you know is you watched the draft and you saw some highlights and you have some questions. Uh, I thought the West Virginia versus Youngtown State game in 2016 did a nice job really showcasing what Moss can do well. Uh, he was obviously the, the second pass rusher there, uh, along with Derek Rivers, who ended up going uh, to the New England Patriots. Uh, Moss is a different player. He's not as twitched. He's not as lean. Uh, but he's a transfer. He transferred from Nebraska over. He was a highly valued recruit, ended up landing uh, at Youngstown State. So uh, we'll keep an eye on him as a depth player behind Jason Pierre-Paul, who's in a contract year, and Olivier Vernon, uh, who was a player that they signed away from Miami for big money. Uh, Moss should get some looks. I expect him to make that team. Finally, Washington Redskins. This was a team that I thought did a nice job. They had one pick that... uh, Ironically enough, as a day three pick that I was really underwhelmed with. But that aside, um, I thought their first couple of picks, they did a really nice job through uh, 
the 120 with their their 123rd pick. Uh, they had picked Jonathan Allen at 17, Ryan Anderson at 49, Fabian Moreau at 81, Samaj P. Ryan at 114, and Monte Nicholson at 123. I think that collection of players is really nice foundation for them. Uh, Jonathan Allen, uh, Joe Marino went on Chris Burke from Sports Illustrated's On the Clock podcast back before the draft, and they played a game talking about like each player's ceiling and floor for getting drafted. And Joe called a shot and said John Allen uh, at 17 was probably uh, the absolute floor for him. I remember my second-to-last mock draft, I actually put John Allen uh, at 17 to the Washington Redskins. Uh, so both of us had felt before the draft uh, that this would be a viable fit if it's there. Sure enough, here it is. Allen slides all the way to 17. He was my 20th rated player. Uh, so again, we're talking about appropriate value for a player, uh, which is surprising for me because that's not something I really aspire to do. As strange as that may sound, I'm not trying to forecast who is going where. I'm trying to tell you who successful football players are going to be, why they're going to be successful, or why players are more high-risk averse. See somebody like John Ross, a very high-risk player. I may very well be wrong on John Ross. He may be a Pro Bowl player, uh, be a huge 20-plus yards per reception receiver for the Cincinnati Bengals, but he's a high-risk player. And I think as the draft process went on and more people were able to put John Allen through that deep, deep rinse and, and, and look at his film and him as an overall player and his on and off the field product, uh, he was a little more risk oriented than people had assumed entering the 2016 season. Now, granted, his film is tremendous. I love his film. One of the most technically polished players he can play. There's no doubt about it. Um, but the athletic profile's okay. There's some injury questions and longevity questions. And, and those things combined lead to a player that you saw the NFL kind of agree uh, has a little bit more risk to him than uh, what teams are willing to gamble on. So if you're going to be uh, an earlier selection than that, you better have that upside and ceiling. And I don't see, uh, again, much like Derek Barnett, he doesn't have that elite trait. He has elite hands, but he doesn't have uh, elite burst. He doesn't have elite anchor ability. He's a good anchor player along the point of attack. He's gonna probably going to be a primary B-gap defender. And the reason why I can say that with some confidence is because Washington has gone out and at 49 drafted yet another heavy-handed power pass rusher for a stand-up two-point player. And Ryan Anderson, another Alabama player. Uh, they landed Alabama guys with their top two picks. Um, Anderson is going to come into a position group that already has uh, Trent Murphy as a heavy-handed power rusher. It's got Preston Smith as a heavy-handed power rusher. And it's got uh, Ryan Kerrigan, who's a little bit more of a blend of both. Uh, but he's certainly not a twitch-tilt guy. So uh, Anderson is an interesting selection because he's just... Uh, if you're looking for a Washington Redskins-type pass rusher, uh, powerful hands, 
capable of setting the edge against the run. Maybe not the best finisher as far as turning the corner on offensive tackles, uh, but guys that can really jolt and roll people back into the pocket. And Anderson fits that mold, and that's why uh, I, I had him at 92 on my draft board. He went 49, a difference of 43 spots, but it's very clear Washington has their type of player and Anderson fits that mold. So I don't dislike the value. I don't think it's egregious. Uh, it's earlier than my personal assessment of players in a vacuum, but I'm seeing that through the scope and understanding. Washington is looking for different things than I am in pass rushers. Uh, they got my 25th rated player at 81, a great value in Fabian Moreau. Uh, it was the one of the steals of this division, the best value pick that they got versus my personal draft board. Uh, Moreau is somebody I think has huge amounts of upside. Uh, obviously, the torn pectoral muscle really dinged him uh, in the pre-draft process. He tore that bench pressing at his pro day, which is just such an unfortunate thing to happen. But uh, uh, I think he has the potential to be a very special player. He's still fairly green to the defensive side of the ball, but elite physical traits, elite size profile, elite ball skills. It's just a question of he is somebody that has not had the opportunity to get the reps needed to add polish to his game. And he also is somebody that has some warts uh, with the technical side of things, giving up clean releases on the inside too much. Uh, I actually think him sliding a little bit is going to ease the expectations on him. I think it's much more fair value, and, and it's something I think the expectations will be more in line with what you're getting as a year one player. But his year three and year five projections are much more favorable. Washington landed Samaj P. Ryan at 114, who was my 80th rated player. Uh, another plus value against my board of over 30 slots. Um, power back, bowling ball. I would not be surprised to see P. Ryan uh, kind of take the mantle here. Robert Kelly, Matt Jones, uh, much like their pass rushers, they like power runners. They like thick-bodied runners between the tackles. And P. Ryan, if he's anything, hell, he's that. Uh, Monte Nicholson at 123, he's somebody I think has some upside, uh, very inconsistent with his film, but he's got flashes of physicality, he's a good body, big body in the secondary, he can play an enforcer, uh, imposing type role when he's able to come downhill, square up on ball carriers, and uh, make some hits and challenge, and uh, I had him rated 137th, he goes 123, so a difference of less than 20 spots. Uh, Jeremy Sprinkle, tight end, is the one that really stood out to me. And I was just, I, I really do not subscribe to Sprinkle's tape, unfortunately. Uh, I had him rated 271, he goes 154. Uh, Sprinkle, and again, if we're if we're griping about a pick in the 150s, how, how bad is this draft class really? I mean, really, they did a nice job with their, their first five picks allocating guys. I liked a good deal, so... Uh, Sprinkle was just somebody that I never saw him win routes against one-on-one -on -one coverage. A lot of his productivity came uh, leaking out of the backfield on bootleg plays and kind of coming across the set and hiding in the backfield, uh, leaking out and up and running wheel routes and throwback plays. and uh, Big body, I think he's got some blocking upside, but I, I really did not see anything to really get excited about him. Uh, and then Washington had four late-round picks, uh, the Wyoming. Wyoming interior offensive lineman, uh, ruler that we already mentioned, Robert Davis, a wide receiver from Georgia State, Josh Harvey Clemens from Louisville, uh, and Joshua Holsey, the corner from Auburn. So uh, 
a lot of picks for Washington. They ended up finishing uh, with 10 draft selections, and I really, really liked what they were able to do with those first five. I think they got five long-term impactful potential starters out of that crop. I certainly think Allen and uh, P. Ryan have the best chance to be starters right away. I think Anderson in the long run, especially if they have some contract decisions they need to make, and then Fabian Moreau as he heals and gets reps. Uh, four really strong candidates to be players for the Washington Redskins three years from now. Uh, that is going to do it for today. Uh, I think I'm uh, ready to take a sip of water and catch my breath here. Uh, we did the full gambit. Uh, thank you guys for sticking along and trusting the process with me here today on Draft Dudes as we went through the NFC East, looking at each team's individual draft class and highlighting uh, what my personal thoughts were and were uh, in, in terms of the value and projecting forward for these players. You can certainly expect, Joe, uh, much like I did on Monday when uh, I had missed Friday's show on the AFC South, uh, to do a little bit of a lightning round, kind of offer his thoughts on the division uh, when we are back with you on Friday looking at the NFC North. So you guys have that to look forward to this upcoming Friday. And then to close out the month, we will be looking at the NFC South and the NFC West again next week. So by this time next week, we will be done with our full division wrap-ups and we can start teasing some 2018 stuff. Again, thank you guys so much for listening. I'm Kyle Krabs, Director of Scouting, NDT Scouting, uh, FanRackSports.com, NFL Draft Analyst, signing off, thanking you for not just myself, but also my co-host who could not join us today, Mr. Joe Marino. We are the Draft Dudes Podcast and we will talk to you on Friday. You've reached the High Fashion Hotline. Hi, my family's going to a concert in the park, and we want our style to be the main attraction. Rock over to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, right now get up to 50% off jeans from 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Up to 50% off jeans for the family? That's music to my ears. Plus, now you can get in and out of the store in a flash with buy online, pick up in store. It's fun, fast, and free. Styles that take center stage and free pick up in store when I buy online? Old Navy, here we come. High Fashion, Old Navy. About 720 to 729, select styles only. Right now, join T-Mobile and get an unlimited family plan with Netflix included so you can watch in more places than ever before on your phone, tablet, or TV. Plus, buy one Samsung Galaxy S9 and get one free with 24 monthly bill credits so you and your family can binge your Netflix favorites on your new phones. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. Unlimited data on their network. Video streams at 480p. Small fraction of customers using over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speeds. If you cancel balances due, well-qualified customers, full price, 720 plus tax. Finance agreements required. Netflix for two screens. Terms apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.